Hello, welcome to the Real Point Exchange. This is Adam, and this is going to be our actual first post-mortem we've ever done. And we are doing this over a great game that Ian has just recently finished running for us. Ian, you care to introduce the nice folks to this wonderful game that, that they obviously already listened to the actual play of? Yes, because you clearly wouldn't listen to this first. Yeah. Um, hey, this is Ian. I'd like to... I guess I'm the uh, the game master or... Principal? I'll call myself uh, the next term for the... Master of Ceremonies. Master of Ceremonies. Yeah, that thing. And uh, there's Toby cracking her knuckles. <laughs> Always. Uh, so why don't we introduce... Start with that, David. Uh, hi, everyone. I'm David from uh, Roleplay Public Radio. I played our resident maniac and um, all-around beat stick. I was Toby and uh, really, really enjoyed it. Ethan? Yeah, I played Hannah. I was only in the first session. I played a, what, Valkyrie? Valkyrie. Which Valkyrie. is more of like a leader type of person, uh-huh. which is kind of interesting. Uh, fortunately, that meant I didn't, I wasn't there to lead people in the, in the subsequent uh, sessions, but had a good time. Uh, Sean? Hey, this is Sean from RPPR. Uh, I played the newbie archetype, uh, which I played as more of a disingenue. Uh, she was kind of supposed to be innocent, but no, no. She uh, pretended to be innocent very well. Yeah. More of kind of a intel, anti-intel kind of person. Um, yeah. And and her name was? Kimmy. Uh, her actual name was uh, Ku Xiaowei. But her family came over from China, missionaries, whatever. Anyhow, just went by Kimmy. Just Kimmy. Mm-hmm. And uh, typically, her deal was to manipulate people. All right. Uh, and Adam, you already introduced yourself. But what character did you play? I played Jordan. So, And Jordan is the stoner archetype. And, you know, back, growing up, having long hair in high school, I was often, hey, man, you got any weed? Kind of bullshit like that. <laughs> so I was kind of, you know, you know, pulling on that. And... We actually, in the pre-first session, we were talking, and our most of our names had something to do with uh, the Lethal Weapon series. So it was just kind of an oddity that sucks. So uh, Jordan, and then there was Riggs, uh, Martin Riggs, and then, you know, so we all kind of bounced around <laughs> with that a little so, bit. Do we need so, to yeah. re- all reveal all of our references there? Uh, if, just oh, yeah. We probably didn't figure it out. Uh, mine was Toby Cole. What, Sergeant Cole from Traffic? No, not Sergeant Cole from Traffic. Sergeant Cole from Internal Affairs. So <laughs> Renee Russo's character when she showed up. Nice. I was, Han- I was Hannah... Uh, what? Not Riggs, the other one. I think you were Hannah Martin. Martin, yeah. that's right. Hannah Martin. <laughs> yeah. I was now, playing what, a very oblique reference to Wasing Ku, uh, Jet Li's character. And, of course, I was Jordan, and I can't remember if Jordan was Danny Glover or... Uh, you went Jordan. Jordan Riggs. Yeah, you were Jordan Riggs. Okay, Jordan Riggs. You actually took Martin Riggs, uh, both of you as your name, but you just took different halves of it because it was <laughs> right. Yeah, so anyway, this is the um, this is the postmortem. We're just talking about the game campaign, and I guess anything else we really feel like we want to talk about uh, what we went through. Right. If I may start, sure. um, the first uh, critique that I have of the game. Uh, it was a very fun game. Absolutely loved every minute of it. But one of the things that uh, we all decided uh, needed a little bit more filling out is the rep and huh? what you can do with the rep. Because personal rep has four um, things that you can do with it, which does kind of make sense. 
but the gang rep didn't fill out as much. And we wanted to say that at the very least, we saw opportunities for more things that rep could do personal mm. rep of the four things. Um, some of them make sense to an extent because I've got reputation. Therefore I can make another gang back down. I can force a gang to parlay. I can take over a shop for a brief time or uh, what was the fourth one? Uh, that was, uh, you can take over a shop to do some business and do something heavy, which is basically like you just, you do, oh, yeah. which, yeah, that was the last one was do something heavy. Yeah. It's a gang move, which to me, I, I, the thing though, with, with rep, with the personal rep is I feel like make another gang back down. Um, while I know David, you explained it, uh, can work narratively. I also felt like at times it felt like maybe that should have been a gang move instead of a personal move. Make a person back down. Uh, that's the way I felt, but um, I guess it depends on the narrative that you're going for. It does. I mean, because, all right, just to talk about our characters a little bit, Toby was scary, yo, and I can totally see her getting a gang to back down because that's the goal with the knives. On what? the other hand, uh, Kimmy can get a gang to back down because she's the smiling, happy one who somehow manages to get under everybody's skin and figure out all of their secrets. Right. Probably just an issue of like stating, oh, really? You're going to hurt me? Great. That's wonderful. And have you thought about anything beyond that? About the <laughs> fact the police are on their way right now? Right. Something like Jordan that. can get a bang- gang to back down because uh, she's the girl with the weed. Nobody Damn wants right. to piss off the weed dealer. Right. Stoner, what did you guys think of like the game overall in and of itself and you know what it was trying to go for oh i like the fact that this game is one that definitely encourages teamwork because we are the lethal lolitas first yep and then we are our characters second so i'm well i was the maniac Mm -hmm. and the whole point of the maniac is i am the group's beat stick i'm the one that you just shake up and throw at problems and i stab them until they go away right on the other hand, Ethan was playing Hannah, who was our Valkyrie, yeah, who is our leader. So she's basically the leader of the Lolitas first, and then she's Hannah second. Right, which is kind of interesting because there were certainly some times where, like, I would have if it had if the game had been sort of more individualistic, I would have played you know some stuff having to do with my own like personal Backstory? needs and desires and things like that and and things instead of focusing primarily on the gang situation. Yeah, I think I think that works out well in the gang in the game's favor because it wants you to play as a as a group of girls trying to survive in a world that wants to hurt them. Yeah. I I, I also I guess this is just me speaking, but I I do like that if we aren't just focusing on I mean, there was a lot of violence in this campaign, but and in this game in general. But I think that also there's a lot of social anxiety and girls not just backing up each other in fights, but backing each other up in, in social um, struggles. And mm-hmm. just like the whole Toby being... I'm, I'm skipping ahead just a little bit, but Toby being the whole... Her secret of, I have a gentler side. And then Kimmy knowing that secret and trying to... You know, having that in her back pocket, and then that kind of, that actually came forward in in the second episode. Yeah, it did. Right, and how? But and then, part of that came into the group play, and perversely, instead of it being like dirty world, you know, backstabbery, it was, uh, you know, 
Yeah. It worked together more. It was more more teamwork and less, I'm going to screw you over for my own personal needs. It was more, how can I use this to help all of us? We were a gang. We were. And one of the big things, one of the big themes of the game, especially in, if you look at all of the playbooks, most of the reasons why uh, girls formed into girl gangs, especially in the 1970s, is that women, by and large, were being oppressed, especially at a young age, uh, being told these are the things that you're supposed to do, these are the things that you cannot do. And because of socioeconomic factors, a lot of girls would band together and form these girl gangs to try to do the things that society says that they can't. Mm -hmm. On the horns of, um, well, baby boomer era is kind of a big thing. This is after Rosie the Riveter had her rivets taken away and was told, get back in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And in the 1950s, women did not want to just go back into the kitchen, but it took 20 years and another generation before they finally were able to say no in a loud enough voice. Mm-hmm. And I know as a pushing 40 white man, I'm not the best person to deliver that message, but that's what the game is. Uh, that's the message that the game was trying to convey is no, you don't have to do what society thinks that you should do. You right. can make your own way. But because it is such an uphill battle for people who are in the lowest echelon of society, sometimes when you have to make that way, you have to do it by stealing, by Mm -hmm. committing crimes, by knocking over a post office box, you know. Well, okay, how's this? I'm going to briefly do something and then like drag us back out forcibly with some uh, denouncement. I mean, you're you're bringing up the the generation thing, which... I'm going to be blunt. Personally, I'm not a fan of generational theory. I think it's kind of crap, but all right. The characters we played were solid mid range Gen X, which doesn't get talked about a lot. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole anti establishment thing was huge for that time period that I'm going to use a different phrase cohort. Yes. And David, yes. we're the same age, roughly. We Guess are. what that means. We're also Gen X. We're the ass end of Gen X, but yeah. We are. Yeah, so we're still like bearing that like cross of cross Gen X. <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's that whole idea of uh, fuck, the, uh, fuck the man, fuck the authorities, art for art's sake, all those things. Sell out, stop being a term after us. No, huh. really, actually being honest, mm-hmm. it's not a curse word anymore. Right. Yeah, seriously. I think, um, uh, I mean, like uh, that does deal with a big part because, in case anyone didn't realize, to the listeners, know, uh, this does take place in the 1970s, uh, right? And I had it 1970x because I don't like being held down by specific dates. Perfectly um, fine. Yeah, but a big part of the 70s is the fact that not only was uh, rights, like this, the 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 equal rights movement going on at the time for women. Uh, but also, you know, there was the whole Billy was it Billy Jean versus the big tennis match. Um, Billie oh, Jean yeah, Billy Jean King versus uh, yeah, uh, oh, yeah. So that was happening. You know, there's a wave of sexuality in the book. It actually explains the 70s were a huge era that people often discount, and frankly, it was huge for anybody that wasn't, well, frankly, white, straight, or male. So, yeah. um, it was uh-huh. a big fucking time, and everybody's like, oh, all 70s, 70s music is bad. 
where does punk rock come from? The seventies. Fuck you. Anyhow, <laughs> I think the seventies. Where did are- glam rock get its real big start before it got really glammy? Right. Seventies. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, I'm 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 25 right now, and and when I grew up, the way uh, I remember the seventies was a it was the end of the Vietnam War, and b Watergate. Yeah. Uh, and also, it was it was I remember also the seventies was. Uh, like the end of like the hippie era. Like those are the three things I knew of before I actually dive deep into. Right. And like any historical era, it's obviously you start getting into it. It becomes infinitely more like more complex. So yeah. yeah. We're not going to get into that now. I'm just saying like, this is a really neglected era. Well, actually, especially um, that's actually part of the theme of the, of the whole overall, overall book of is, See, the big thing of this is that uh, the book says this isn't the 70s that you're familiar with. This isn't the 70s that's glorified by media or that – like um, like that one game you were talking about. Uh, Spirit of 76. Spirit of 76. It's not yes. – this, this is the down and dirty – this literally says down and dirty. This is about you are playing poor, usually minority, but not always because it doesn't really matter. Because Yeah, that's the thing. Girls – well, Ian, here, here to interrupt you here, and I do apologize for being rude on this one here, but it's honestly, it reminds me of what I've encountered when I was going through my bachelor's for English and like reading Zora Neale Hurston, Courts, which is Harlan Renaissance. But mm-hmm. there, in her story, Their Eyes Were Watching God, there's this section where there's a comparison made between the African Americans being like mules and beasts of burden. And then she goes on to say, well, Within that, then women in the African American community are even lower than than the men are, and stuff like that. And I think that's what you're getting at when you're dealing with an under, you know, okay. the underside of the '70s. It's not extremely popular, and you're taking a, a group of people that have uh, been marginalized by society, and you're, you know, you're telling their story, and it can be uncomfortable, and it can make you, you know acknowledge and face some things yeah, and that's what... sorry to jump in but yes exactly and adam you and i do you, you, you see did a class the harlem renaissance yeah you and i are having a talk later anyhow so um <laughs> I mean, because my, fuck one, yes um one of the stats was named a certain thing that we can't say online but uh <laughs> let's address that right now because we addressed yeah. it in the first episode it, that is actually True. kind of interesting i think so, we should address that that was one of the things i wanted to and, get to and that was where I had actually my first mixed feelings about this. Of course, you know, I'm if I'm not the same age, I may be a year older than than uh, you know David and Sean. I'm I was born in 1980. You know, uh, same age, same age, same age. Okay, but we here's the thing that I had trouble with. So I, I love this whole thing of girl power. And as a man who is raising two daughters, that like as soon as they start coming home from kindergarten or in preschool, my oldest child was telling me girls are stupid, and I have to sit there. And, you know, even at that age, they're getting this stuff shoved down their throat that I have to deprogram. Like, I, I totally love that aesthetic. And, but there came up the question of the stat, which was in the book as written, which is called Pussy, which was we changed it to Flair because it was kind of, you know, how you worked it. Uh, it could be, you know, have that sexual aspect. But the book also read like it could apply to other things. And I don't know if I was doing the game a disservice by just kind of putting out my X card at this exact moment and saying, you know, I would rather call it something else or did I defeat the author, the author's purpose? I don't yeah. know, but it was just, 
I don't have an answer for this one. If right I may, now. one thing I'd throw out there is that I mean, I feel you on that actually directly, but I think one of the reasons they used that and it was supposed to be kind of in your face, badass, punk as fuck. But really the the heart of it is an assertion of feminine of femininity, like just aggressive feminine, mm-hmm. which is that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Yeah. To be honest. And well, I yeah. think it can be hard because it's a I would say because it's a uh it's in a, a type of you know setting that is a little undercovered versus other things. It's it's the sort of thing that I think can be a little bit um hard to get your understand how to come at it. Mm-hmm. So for me, like it's hard for me to it's a little hard for me to treat to treat like seventies like gritty media as a serious thing rather than as sort of a um sort of a satirical thing or as a sort of playful thing. Uh, actually, I hear you there, but I wasn't quite sure how the, to get at that with the game. There is kind of a middle ground where you do. It's kind of sound weird, both at the same time. There right. is a satire, but a seriousness. It's like a Hunter S. Thompson thing where you use the satire to dig up the grit. I mean, this was partially inspired by uh, exploitation films like Faster Pussycat, Pussycat, Kill Kill, right? And other stuff, mm. but and I mean, part of that is I haven't actually seen a lot of those things. Oh, and also Foxy Brown. I mean, There's, I mean, they put that in there. There's a lot of media they did not put in that I could dig up later I, if you want. But I know, yeah. I know, people might have mixed feelings on Quentin Tarantino stuff, but I would, I felt a bit more. I wanted it to go a bit more. Um, or I felt this more connecting with like Pulp Fiction or mm. Reservoir Dogs kind of style to a point. Um, not like completely, but like I felt like there was a dash of that in here. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. Like based on Pulp Fiction, it felt a lot like Pulp Fiction, right? But like for example, like from my like I've I've when I watched the Warriors, uh, the Warriors seems kind of cartoonish to me. Uh, yeah. Rather uh, that's than, on purpose, really. Yeah, rather than purpose. right, but like in a manner that like doesn't seem like like a serious like examination of what's going on in the 70s like i find i find it's hard for me to get past the sort of bifurcation of uh like action movie type tropes uh or like action violence type tropes in realism what you there's the, the can take a bunch of dudes dressed up in in kiss makeup and wearing a bunch of baseball uniforms seriously right uh there's well, actually a movie they didn't name drop that perversely does fit in with this especially uh i was talking to ross about this uh ross from rppr uh he thought it was uh based on uh british girl gangs uh anyhow there is actually a movie that has at its center a british girl gang that was made by some people that were supposed to be in on the 70s uh 70s to early 80s british punk movement that that part of it Mm -hmm. That could grant insight, but um, it's even like in the Criterion Collection. Hmm. But I don't recommend it for everybody. Does does that make sense? Like, I don't recommend it for everybody because it goes there hard. Mm -hmm. Really goes there. Uh, It's called Jubilee. Oh, oh, I know that one. Yes, Uh, it is kind of fucked up. Uh, But really, I think if you were to feed this in and uh, temper it. I think it would actually work pretty well. Yeah. Well, that's kind of that's kind of what I'm what I'm trying to get at. So, like, part of my you know conception for my character uh, was uh, based on the on the TV show Shameless. If you guys have 
watch that? Mm, I've heard of it. Uh, I saw the British version. Oh, the American version is all. Oh, sorry. No, it's cool. But it's about people. It's about basically a family living on like the south side of Chicago, and they're in like grinding poverty, and they're um and their parents are like incredibly dysfunctional and abusive. And it's kind of a combination soap opera comedy. Um, it's like sometimes it's like cringe comedy because like you can't you can't do anything else but laugh at how absurdly like terrible the things are that people are doing. But um, but it's also tries to be sort of like realistic in the sense that like these people have real real problems that like have caused them serious like emotional and psychological damage, and they're dealing with that and trying to trying to get through and do whatever they can do. And so, like, that was part of the thing. It's like, how how real do I want to make it versus, like, how liberatory, like, the sort of, like... Because, like, the idea of, like, engaging in violence to solve your problems tends to be, you know, it's about... It's it's uh, sort of... It's a power fantasy of, like, it's being... almost always a bad idea now. But in the right. 70s, there were times when it wasn't necessarily a bad idea. You guys used violence to solve a very. I mean, Toby used violence to solve protecting the community. Right. What I what like I'm saying every is like could. when yeah. you're telling a story in which like violence is use like useful in that sort of situation and like that, I tend to think it tends to inherently become unrealistic because you're not really dealing with the uh, like physical consequencesic manner. Uh, um, and yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And, uh, well, and I'm not. Honest, and again, too. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. It's the, to me, it's like the question is like it's a question of like genre expectations. It's like where we, where are we yeah. on the continuum of realism versus um, escapism as far as what we're trying to achieve or what we're trying to depict. And truthfully told, we could have had the scene transition between every single scene as being the lower half of Lynn Thigpen's face speaking into a microphone saying, "And now." This is what's going to happen next. And then we transition. Oh, look, the warriors are moving on to the subway. This one's for you, warriors. <laughs> Ain't no, nowhere to ride you, baby. Uh, I do have a real, like a unique little compliment to it, this game that I didn't realize was going to be such an overarching theme with everything we do. Says the guy who said, let's name all of our characters after Lethal Weapon stuff, but... <laughs> I mean, throughout the course of the game, and this part of this was your your game mastering in, which you did a great job at, man. But oh, you did. It's like songs, like all the, like we're starting to. We no, I tell you what, the first thing was we picked we picked St. Louis because four out of five of us have been <laughs> to St. Louis. So right. like, so we had that reference point, and then it's just like like we just keep coming up with songs to match scenes, and like I find that to be great. And then you know we start comparing it to movies and all. I, I think. Like this game does such a great job of tying itself to this outside source material hmm. that not only helps you get the feel of it, but also helps you kind of inform what you're going to do. I mean, Jesus, you put the you put the plot of Carrie in there, and yeah, that, we'll talk about and, that later. No, but I mean, you know, you could look at it and say, "Oh, you're being real on the nose with it," but at the same time, you don't think a bunch of high school kids are going to go, "Oh, her name's <laughs> Carrie." Guess what we're going to do? Like, I don't know, man. Like. Hmm. With, between those kind of references and the music and the fact that David's made up a playlist that we're going to be sharing out with this, like I just, well, and hopefully we're going to add more to that playlist because well, more and more different songs just keep speaking. Like there's no way across 110th street isn't ending up on that playlist. You son of a bitch, David. <laughs> I love you, but yes, to be, to be blunt though. Um, this was a time period when music was taking a stronger forefront in culture as opposed to simply oh, yeah. uh, 
having the album was so fucking important during this this decade. So yeah, oh, no, music is is central to the to the campaign, and therefore, yeah. of course, it means something. Yeah, uh, this is I, where the campaign's heart lies. A big thing I want to point out on, and then why don't we move on to the campaign since we start talking about it so much, is that uh, uh, the 70s was also a big point of, um, oh, crap, was it rap or was it... Um, Punk was big. Hip-hop was have, starting in the late 70s. Yeah, you don't really have a lot of hip-hop until the very late end of the 70s. Yeah, it was 1977, and um, I keep harping on this, but I love this event so much, and I actually want to make a might run available game of this one day. Mm-hmm. Um, but in 77, there was a blackout in New York and a bunch of dudes uh, DJing. Yes. Yeah, DJing. Uh, they they broke, a dude, bunch of dudes broke into all these electronic stores to grab like mixing tapes and uh, sound boards for like their discs, for just, you know, disc jockey. There's actually, that is covered strongly in a uh, documentary on Netflix called Hip Hop Evolution. I strongly yep. recommend it to everybody. It is fucking amazing. So why don't why don't we jump on to the campaign itself and anything that I guess you guys want to talk about that and things you might want. I, I know some of you wanted to talk about things that you wanted your characters to develop on or which you had more time to develop your characters for mm. something like that. Well, and one quick touch on music and then I'll stop. When we were looking at the different songs for the playlist, we are leaning a lot more punk. There have been a couple of thoughts about disco because this was a big era. I mean, disco was really, really huge. But at the other hand, disco is happy and poppy, and this doesn't seem like a happy poppy game as much. So I think that's why we've been shying away from disco and more in favor of punk. Mm-hmm. I mean, but there I... are a couple of disco songs that could make their way in. Just throwing that out. And Rasputin oh. by Boney M? I don't know. Shit, man. I threw in Ladies' Night as the title for the third episode, which I think was also... I, that would be great. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, I think Disco is... I mean, for, for God's sake, the first title I have for the first episode is Disco Blitz. Just Yeah. Uh, and there's a reason why Tragedy from the Bee Gees is on the list. I mean, as poppy and... Well, it, as Bee Gees as it is. I mean, it's like as Bee Gees as you can get. Yeah. I, I The thing is, this this playing this game actually got me more familiar with a bunch of songs that I didn't know existed. And then, and, or, and then also made me realize, Oh my God, these songs are so old or not old. They're just like, I didn't realize how these songs were made in the seventies. Like I started going back and I was like, I didn't know a bunch of these songs were made in the seventies. I thought they were like eighties or something like that. Like the fact that some of those are in there blew my mind. To be blunt there, there was like this weird backlash against the seventies for a while that demonized everything because Oh, disco, which was also partially eighties, but nobody remembers that part. Yeah. So no, it was own era and it had a lot of really cool shit. Okay. Um, so I don't really know how to transition into the campaign. <laughs> so campaign. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. So campaign, what do we want to talk about? The first episode. So maybe I should so, go through. Okay, sure. Definitely. Okay. So, um, we started the campaign. Uh, we um, decided we'd set it in St. Louis, Missouri, since it was a you know big old city in the 70s and uh, going through rough economic times, like most places were. And it's a place where a lot of us knew, but we sort of invented an elaborate sort of girl gang scene with various gangs sort of in the cities. That was very much based on the Warriors' uh, conception of, of a variety of different competing 
partially or, or at least quasi themed gangs. And we got into it and we sort of started with a very sort of pretty straightforward like exploration, I feel like, of the game mechanics and the the beginnings of working out the system. So Ian, if I, I don't know if you want to talk about, you know, your conception for the first session. Yeah. Well, first I want to point out that out, out of all the people here, I've never actually been to St. Louis. So <laughs> the game master to run into it. To run in a city that uh, I've never been to was a little bit of, a, uh, of an interesting challenge. Also, side note, is the example city used in the book? But we didn't realize that at the time. So oh, really? I didn't know Yeah, it was a random coincidence. <laughs> nice. For the first one, uh, first session, actually what I did was there was a game that I had not, uh, wasn't able to get to at Gen Con, which is where I first heard about this game. And all it was was it was called Rumble at the Disco, and it just read... Andrea and her glow girls are stepping on your territory after being pushed off by the blue boys. You need to settle it at the rumble at the disco. And I was just like, I just took that concept and just ran with it and made a whole thing where, oh yeah, so there are these, there's this gang called the blue boys that are basically police ripoffs. And there's this gang called the glow girls. And now you're in a gang war with them because they got pushed off. And then I, I, I forget where I got this idea. I think I got it from the Warriors themselves, but I wanted to be like, I wanted to make it a little bit cartoony for this, uh, for, for St. Louis, the, the setting and everything. And so I had this giant gang uh, has these rumbles that are set up at, uh, at like select locations. And that's how people settle these things because they mm. don't want the cops, like just busting down on people fighting in the middle of the street. So I just, I basically took just a sentence and made an entire session out of it. Cool. And it worked. Yeah, I, I I wasn't really sure how it was going to go because honestly, at first, that wasn't meant to be a campaign. And then we talked about it and everyone was like, we should do a campaign. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> if anyone has it, like, do you guys have any more comments? Do you have any comments on the first session or? Um, kind of. Um, I, uh, I know this is going to sound a little bit of tooting our own horn, but I love the fact that we pulled our allies from one of the other areas of St. Louis, because we decided that we were yeah, that's right. set primarily in like downtown St. Louis. But St. Louis is not just St. Louis, it's also St. Louis County. And there's a lot of areas that are more of the suburbs. And so mm-hmm. that was the birth of the suburban bitches. Um, they're a group that mainly does shopping that has taken over a mall. <laughs> and there's a couple of decent uh, malls in St. Louis, but I think we said the Jamestown Mall uh, mm-hmm. specifically. I think so. And um, that was where we got our hairspray, which we turned into flamethrowers in the end. Yeah, I want to point out, I didn't really expect to uh, point out David to light everyone's hair on fire. I think the big thing for me was the rumble itself was figuring out. Because the problem, and we'll, we'll touch on this later in the more in the mechanics about it and go back to the whole rep thing that David brought up first. But the big thing was figuring out how the gang rumble would work because I kept reading through the rolls and I was just really confused by how this would work. So I just decided to say, screw it. I'm going to take what I have and then try to expand on it and make it more cinematic. And I think it worked out that way in the fact that uh, not only did the uh, suburban bitches uh, help you guys, um, but we managed to bring it down to just one gang fighting your gang. Yeah. And that made all the things a lot simpler. Um, and I think that they actually picked up gang rep from it as well, because everybody thinks at first that they're going to be just, oh, yeah, we've got some seed fillers coming in from the suburbs. Yeah, what are they going to do? Mm-hmm. Oh, they brought munitions. 
stealth munitions. Holy shit, this yeah. is a group that we gotta suddenly they're players. Well, I think that also um that also ended up pointing out to us that this game would also help it would help the game if it had a heat system. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I tried to incorporate, but realized I didn't really know what I was doing. So, uh, well, you could probably just file the the heat system off a nice black agent, throw it over here, and it would. I mean, that's what I tried to do, but it uh, again, I I never played the nice black agents, despite the fact that I want to. Hmm. So when I did that, I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just gonna pretend I know. It's all good. Um, but I mean, I really, I did, I did like how we we introduced each character as. Toby's the stabber. Jordan's the person who skips class and smokes weed. And Hannah's the person who actually does all the work and is the only person that isn't a horrible human being right now. Fair. You know, with a Powered by Apocalypse game, they leave so much open to this whole narrative input from the players and all that. That's what made this thing great. Mm -hmm. As the course of the game went on, which I don't even think in the first session when it's occurred, I never even told the rest of the group what I was really thinking for Jordan. But there's this section after the fight breaks out and you have Hannah. No, Jenny. It was Jenny. Jenny. Jenny punches Jordan in the face. And I don't know. That's that one moment that like it, it popped in my mind. It's like, she, she loves this girl. Hmm. And then you know, like, I was just, I was actually going to tell you, I was going to grab Jenny's hand and drag her out of there with us. And then, you know, I get socked in the face. And I thought that was great. I mean, of course, the character sheet also said I'd kiss somebody in the group. And the group's all ladies. So, you know, I wasn't exactly sold on making uh, Jordan be a member of the LGBT. But I just, I mean, the way it, the role-playing went and the way you presented things in that scene, it was like, no, this is her. This mm-hmm. is what she wants. And it, that's what makes it tragic. I think I think the big thing for me was the fact that um, I knew what you were going for with like at least think you like I'm gonna grab her hand and run away and I was like wait a minute no 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 Jordan Jenny left the gang and she's part of the gang that you guys all just beat up like she's not gonna run away with you she's gonna punch you in the face I'm um, romantic I'm sorry no it's fine I mean I just I I I wanted to make I just that was the thing I wanted to wanted yeah. to to do um, because I didn't want to just be characters just fall no. or fall in love or just go down easily. Yeah, it was a really you know, good moment of drama, I think so. Yeah. It really was. Um and then of course we had uh our new member Kimiku come in to really make things interesting in the second and third session. Uh which was a lot more than I thought I would be getting. <laughs> to be honest. Jesus Sean, you fucked up so many plans. I think the first session went well. I def it it, it that was my first time running it, of course, so mm-hmm. uh, it helped me understand a lot of the mechanics. How did everyone feel about the personal questions being asked at each session? I liked it. Anytime that you asked a personal question, I I have Toby in my headspace just a little bit. And every time that you asked a question, I felt like I got to know Toby a little bit better, just as much as you got to know Toby a little bit better. And that helped to inform a lot of the ways that I played her in uh, the later games. Mm-hmm. I mean... Let's be honest, her initial, oh, the very first line that she spoke was, no, give me your wallet. (laughs) And that informed a lot of the character. But then when it was questions, what does Toby fear? Something that she can't take out by stabbing it. So we 
kind of joked around that, yeah, we can totally see uh, Toby and a water buffalo. And I went, oh, no, she will stab that water buffalo until she gets through. She can beat it by stabbing. It's going to take a lot of stabbing, but she will beat it. And then I got to thinking, okay, yes, we're being funny with that. But on the other hand, what would there actually be something that she can't fix by stabbing? And there are a lot of things. There's concepts that just really exist on the world, I mean, in the world today, that are not stabbable. I mean, how exactly do you fix socioeconomic differences? How do you fix poverty? You can't fix poverty by stabbing it. How do you fix uh, lack of freedom? Yeah, I really wanted to actually hit your... If we had had more time and we had made this a longer campaign, I would have actually hit your family with poverty or some kind of injunction or something like that to basically be like, this is a problem that's affecting your whole family and you can't stab your way out of it. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you know, there was Akuma who you could stab, but you can't really stab your way out of a problem with her because she doesn't feel the stabbing. Yeah. Uh, But... So you did uh, like a really nice foundation for session two which was the one where we were going to investigate the happenings at the school a bit more. That was also this session where you did the uh, test-taking deal, and we got to buddy up with the chess team, and then finally break someone out of an asylum, which I did not see that one coming. So, you know, (laughs) awesome job there. Yeah, it was... uh, Yeah, totally didn't see that coming, and also totally didn't see it happening while Toby put away her colors and put on a chongsam. Yeah, another brick in the wall. So, I called that one. Nice. Uh, why don't we? Ta- why don't we talk about uh, season two? Since that was actually the longest one, if I remember correctly. And we introduced Sean, Kimmy, Q, and a lot of things happened in that. Oh yes, I have to say I love the start of it. Um, we had talked off mic about how exactly are we going to do sessions inside of the school with a character that has explicitly stated that she is not going back to school. And I said, well, I can totally see if there's a group of truant officers that bring her back in that convince her that it's actually a good idea for her to do it. Hmm. As opposed to, no, no, you're going back to school. I'm 18. You can't make me. That's true. We can't make you, but it's actually better for you to have a diploma. Hmm. So when we were talking about how we were going to get her back in, I said, yeah, but at the same time, Toby is Toby, and she's going to have to put her own spin on it. So it was, according to the way that her reputation works out, yes, she's going to go back to the school, but she's going to not go easily. Um, She ended up walking in, escorted by several police officers, and as the story grew throughout the student body, the number of cops involved went up. Um, She may or may not have bitten one of the canines, (laughs) and she comes back into school with I think it was two pairs of handcuffs. Or three. Uh, three pairs of handcuffs. And um, the first thing that she does, the first words that she says upon coming back into school involved her turning and spitting out a mouthful of blood and broken links and then saying the words. But doing so in front of enough people that the legend of Toby still grows. So she's still in school, but she's still hardcore. Mm-hmm. So that was her compromise was, okay, I'm going to do this school thing, but I'm going to do it on my terms. How did we... And thank you for that. Yeah, I'm... Well, first, you're... You do not know how long I... We spent... Oh, I spent, all like, a whole week trying to figure out how the hell do I motivate 
Toby and Jordan to go to school and do this thing? Like, how do I threaten them with this test thing if this is if, if they don't give a crap? And I basically was just like, all right, I got to figure out a way to do this. So I just had to come up with a whole reason of how to get Toby and Jordan into school. Uh, and if we had hand waved it on the side, the off um, off mic discussion uh, between Toby and Officer Fife, or as as she called him, but. He actually did have a different name, but she never learned it. Basically boiled down to, look, you go to school, you take this last bit of testing, you get your diploma. You get a high school diploma, you can get a job. You can get out of this situation. Do you really want to be doing this for the rest of your life? And I think that he actually did have an impact on her. Really? Um, Yeah. I think that that's kind of the way that it went. I mean, in my own mind, he's basically saying, you can do this for the rest of your life and it ain't going to help. Or you can actually get yourself a future. You can get a future by going to school. It's not a great future, but it's better than what you got. And hey, you do good enough, you might even make it into college. If this was a TV show, I feel like this Toby would be like always, like we'd have scenes where Toby's in the backseat of the police car and an officer... I think his name, I called him Bradley or something like that. But officer, uh, the officer would basically be like, listen, kid, I know we have our differences and you don't like me, but I'm trying to do what's best for you and blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, yeah, that feels like a scene that would happen in the TV show. Kind of, sort of. It's just, how many times have you arrested me this week alone? That would be like the opening scene of just like, how many times have you arrested me? I forget, how did we introduce Kimmy? I can't remember. Uh, Kimmy was mainly a character who uh, jumped into the last minute. Weird. What a thought. And a big part of that was the idea of looking at what I was told about the campaign so far. Um, there was a lot of badassery to hand around. Uh, <coughs> like, you know, I will fuck you up. You know, I'll, I'll mess you up kind of, kind of mentality. And I sat there going, Hey, David. What kind of character would just sit there, pr- pretend to be innocent, and then socially hurt people? And he threw it out there. You know, look at the newbie. So that was a kind of kind of the core there. Mm-hmm. I'm familiar with the uh, other characters that Sean has played to an extent that I know that if we've got a beat stick in the group, Sean will be the social beat stick. If we don't have a beat stick in the group, Sean would have basically played Toby. Hmm. That was part of it. It was, yeah, the Maniac was the character I was looking at first. And then Dave was like, I'm playing the Maniac. So, what's yeah, the Maniac, but with words? <laughs> a Maniac with words. Yeah, that is Kimmy in a nutshell. Kimmy worked out great. Again, it, it was part of the issue of fitting into the group, and uh, everybody had these amazing characters to start with. So, Which I mean, you're right. The, the newbie fit into that, because you're the newbie. Uh, in retrospect, there's one ability I would have taken that I did not. Um, we'll get to which, that. We'll get to them. Uh, Kimmy had such a bunny and a brick house that made her like such a bunny did come into play where she was uh, playing <laughs> stupid to get info out of people. Um, brick house raised her. Uh, Where? The other score. And uh, the ability I should have taken was it's around here somewhere where you could just like find things rando. Yeah. Um, that, that would have been great, but uh, that's just like retrospect, you know. Bunny might be a reference to the Bunny Club, but maybe? I don't, I don't know, man. I, 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 I wasn't alive back then. I can't remember. On the other hand, the other one um, is going into the playlist because the Commodores. 
Oh, she's a brick house. house. There you go. She's, she's a brick. So unfinished for me. Oh, I'm sorry. House. Yeah. Um, she's mighty, mighty. She's letting it all hang out. I'll stop now. In session two, I liked how you did the juxtaposition between where it turns into almost like Persona 5, like you're studying for the exams to get top marks in your class. And then you're putting that up against this gritty reality that these girls live in. And, you know, coming from my background as an educator, you know, I've got a definitely when I was an English teacher, I'd have to try to prep people to take the ACT and try to tell them that this would help get a big you know, get into a good college and, you know, doors yeah. opening and potential and all that. And, you know, and I'm working with people who just live in abject poverty and, you know, these, this isn't in the cards for them. And this is just like some weird twisted dance that you're making them go through for someone's betterment, definitely not their own. And, you know, and I like that in this game, I liked how you had that. It was lighthearted. It was fun. And, you know, most of the, I think Jordan didn't do so well. I think Toby did pretty decent on the test. I know. Yeah, I know she had single digits. I think she was number nine. I, I said nine. I should have said 15, but nine was the was the official canon remark of Toby succeeded at actually being. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, she was nine. Cause she got like a 12, 14, 13, something like that. And it turns out that she really was studying on the sly. But not telling anybody about it. Um, I, actually, I like to think that Toby was just a prodigy this whole time, and she didn't know it. But that's just in my head, Ken. I kind of like that idea. Just the no, I can actually tell you everything that there is to know about Moby Dick. Yeah, but say something. Like legitimately, like she's she's. I like to think that she takes she sits down from the test, and she's like, I know that answer, and I know that answer, and I know that answer. It's like I haven't studied. Why do I know these things? Why do you mean everybody doesn't know this? Yeah, that was such a, a great, a great little part in that. And then you know we go to utter insanity by breaking utter insanity out, which was really nice. But I mean, it seems like that in games and like these little minor ones that we make up on our own that make role playing games so great. Like now we have we have such potential with a character like Toby, who you know if given the right circumstances or. If, a la- if this ability is allowed to flourish, then it could totally change her life around, and that will make you know any further explorations into her life even more interesting. I could totally see Toby becoming Dr. Cole eventually. Wait a minute, she's an ER doctor? Yeah, I specialize in stab wounds. <laughs> oh my god, yo, that would be I like it. awesome. I would love that. You you you'd be like that doctor. You speaking of Persona Five. You'd be like that backdoor doctor that just doesn't not give a fuck about the roles and is just like, yeah, I specialize in stab wounds. I see. This one was uh, made by a number eighteen switchblade by the uh, Switchblade Co. Yeah, uh, don't worry, I'm familiar. Yeah, all the way for Sean to get back. I think. Uh, yeah, a big thing I wanted to try was I wanted to do something more than just. Um, I wanted to explore that school a little bit. Um, I I wanted to have just something more than just a rumble or a fight. I, w- I guess I wanted to have it be something that you couldn't just stab through. And I liked the idea of tests were always like a big thing in school from, you know, my memory and everyone's just trying to just cram everything at the last minute. And, and and in an odd sort of way, I did manage to get through it by stabbing. Only I stabbed the paper with a pencil yeah. lightly. 
Yeah, Jordan didn't do too well. She, you were the only one who actually, I think, failed the yeah. brain roll. Yeah, I did fail that one. Um, and Sean was trying to fail. Yes, but <laughs> just went so gloriously off the off the printed page. They went, "Oh no, she is a genius. We're putting her up for the genius school next year because she was the only one who actually understood um, what the tests really mean." Oh wait, no. Yeah, it was the best part because everyone's rolling. Yeah, uh, uh, I think the best part was he's trying to. Everyone's rolling brains to succeed, but he's trying to roll brains to fail, and then he fails. So he succeeds, which, gosh damn it. Oh, why does that it work was, so much? It was so glorious. Oh, and he starts, he writes an essay on the back. Oh, I, okay, I'll be honest. I didn't see that coming. And then I was just like, all right, well, I guess I can work with this now. And I actually have to say that is a really, that is the mark of a good GM is if you can roll with something that your players uh, throw at you and you just kind of go, yeah, shit, fuck it. We're doing it live. You rolled with so many things that we threw your way, like um, episode three. Um, but we'll touch on episode three in just a moment when we actually get there. But I got to sing your praises for episode two and episode three, especially because we threw so many curveballs at you and you fielded them and knocked it out of the park. Yeah, thank you. And I got to um, say, too, I, I wish I was there for for episode two. I feel like I missed out on stuff I would have really enjoyed there. So Yeah, I'm... I'm... Uh, don't worry, I'm sure I'm going to come up with something else and we'll have Hannah. We'll definitely make one that Hannah can join in on. Nice. Um, but um, I think, I mean, I, I'm curious as to why, why did you guys join up, decide to join up with the, uh, with the Blue Boys, like, right away? Especially because, like, I mean, because, like, the beginning of the episode, I had Isabella, I had you guys have flashbacks to Sunday where Isabella, the second in command of the, um, of the Blue Boys, comes in and she says, you know, uh, we want to make a truce. The law, and then you guys go to the meeting, and I was very surprised that you joined them right away, and you didn't ask for time. Well, um, from Toby's uh, point of view, they were honorable about their intentions from the start. Um, They put their cards right on the table, and um, they asked for a truce. Now, had they violated that truce in any way, it would have blown up in their face. It would have been the part where Toby goes, all right, that's it. They prove that they are not trustworthy. All bets are off. We ain't working with them in any way. But since they held to their word, I like to think that Toby has an odd sort of honor. I mean, her code of honor is a little bit weird. Like we established in the impassioned speech where she climbed up onto the soapbox that the bitches were so nice to provide, the suburban bitches, mm-hmm. and proceeded to give the speech that involved the, I have stabbed a lot of you in the past. That's just business, which I, think, yeah. I like the way that you rolled with that. It is like, yeah, there's a lot of nods. It's like, yeah, she stabbed me, but I sewed you up afterwards. And there, yeah, she, she did sew us up afterwards. <laughs> um, and the fact that basically everybody knew that the truce needed to happen, which is why we were all doing it. We all knew that the truce was the only way that we were going to be able to take on the rats was with sheer numbers. And you appealed through two different means that both really spoke to Toby. Uh, One of them was the fact that they were conducting themselves honorably, which is, which it's a big thing. And the other was that they appealed to the logical side of things. It's like, look, we can punch them one-on-one, but they have way more numbers 
And considering that we've seen them absorb some of these other groups, we know what their MO is. They are going to take all of these groups that have been defeated in the Rumbles, they're going to add to their numbers, and since they've got so many numbers now, the only way that we're going to beat them is together. So we all have to pull together to beat them, otherwise we're not going to beat them. And since that was the big appeal, I think that's why Toby was so quickly on board. Now, I'll grant you that that's not going to be the case for all of the characters, but since that was the case for Toby, I think that once I said, yeah, let's do it this way, the rest of the group just kind of went, okay, yeah, got a point, let's do it. I can't speak for everybody, but I think that that was the, that was the reason why Toby just kind of went, yeah, we were enemies last week, but a lot of things can change in a week. And since these things have changed in the week, we cool now. Yeah, I, I had a whole backup plan in case you guys didn't. Like, I, I actually didn't expect you guys to agree. I had a whole backup plan uh, that involved blackmail. And, uh, like, you would break into the I had a whole thing where you guys would go to the, the, the teacher's office to get the test answers. They weren't there. It was just a note with location. And, like, Isabella or JJ or even Apollo, one of those three would be there. They'd have the test answers, and they would be like, oh, I have the test answers, but if you want them, you have to join us on the Rumble. Uh, but no, you guys just said yes, so I was like, well, there goes that thing. Well, I just kind of picked which side Jenny was on. I mean, that makes sense. Also, so, yes. So I think, uh, yeah, I, I think I really liked how everyone uh, worked well into getting the answers, and uh, I, I was very interested in how, because there are a lot of ways to take down Apollo, um, it just the testing was the was the one I, I, I had put up front, but uh, I, I did like how everyone decided. I wasn't expecting you to recruit someone else to do it. I, I was honestly expecting you guys to steal the answers, and then everyone was like, "We're all going to read the answers and just beat Apollo that way," uh, or you could, or you would have stolen like the test sheet and changed the answer. Well, out of character, um, one of the reasons why. I mean, that thought did occur to me briefly, but I didn't want to say it in character because I'm, well, one, far too used to Ross Payton gamings. And um, I know that if I had said what my thought was and what my plan was, that would Im- immediately become canon. But um, there is um, there's actually a very famous uh, movie that even got turned into after-school specials where a bunch of girls do steal the test answers to the big test. And... Um, they're using this to pass, but the thing is that there's one or two of them that figure out that, no, if we all turn in a perfect score, they're going to know that we stole them because we are not good enough to get a perfect score. So one says, yeah, I deliberately missed a couple just because I know that if I get a passing grade, if I get an A to pass this test, that's one thing. But if I get, um, if I get 100%, they're going to know something's up. And I kind of thought about that and figured, okay, if if Toby, who hasn't been in school for the entire year, who spent almost all of her time just beating down people and stealing their wallets and protecting a neighborhood that way, got the perfect score, um, it's going to be suspect because how in the hell does this girl get a perfect score when these kids who have studied all year are only getting 99%? Mm-hmm. So I figured that if Toby had aced the test that way, as opposed to doing it organically, that would have looked bad for the group. Um, that would have basically told everybody exactly what we did. But, right. um, 
So that's why I thought we need to find our, we need to get our own ringer. And the reason why I went, let's go for the chess club. Let's grab ourselves a nerd was because I figured if we grab somebody who is likely to ace the test on their own, if we boost them from, um, say, a 95% to 100%, that's not going to be as bad of a jump. That's not going to be as obvious a move as if we take somebody who is making 60% and take a 60%er and take them up to 100 suddenly that's suspicious as hell. Mm, okay, that makes sense then. Um, I, I also did like um, how Jordan handled the whole Hey, Ethan, Ethan can, yeah. I tell you, can I tell you something? Mm-hmm. I did the same plot to get out of summer school one year. <laughs> I, would, I would go outside and smoke. It was in geometry class. I would, I'd go outside and smoke with the teacher because it was the 90s and you could do that in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So I'd go out and smoke while my cousin would go in it through a geometry book and pull the answers out for me. <laughs> oh, man. So, nice. I didn't stab anybody in the eye afterwards, though. So, so. Oh. <laughs> That's something, anyway. Um, I, I did like how Jordan handled the whole bathroom scene with Lizzie as well. Uh, oh, was, yeah, that was beautiful. So let's, let's go ahead and move on to day four, if you'd like. To, right. uh, well, let's first let's talk about the demons. Um, okay. Oh, yeah, that, that was beautiful. Yeah, what did you guys think about the demons and the whole, we, we want you to do a favor for us. Okay, what's the favor? Uh, I need you to help me break out my sister from the criminally insane place. Uh, first off, um, I love how when we were doing the first speech, uh, the first big meeting on the truce, um, there was the foreshadowing that the demons are definitely going to be a big thing and, uh, we're going to need to get the demons on our side and they're not actually here. So my first thought on that was when, um, Toby says, don't worry, I speak their language. I got this in the back of my mind. I was going, I have no idea how this is even going to work, but that was the first time that we played with any of the, um, the rep. Cause I think that I burned a rep spot, um, to, <laughs> to parlay with them mm-hmm. and to basically talk to them to get them on our side. And I figured that, well, let's just do this according to the mechanics. I've got enough rep because I've stabbed a lot of people by this time. So I should be able to parlay that stabbing rep into parlay rep with the demons because they like stabbing people. I like stabbing people. At least we've got common ground because they're mainly maniacs. So send a maniac to talk to the maniacs. And then um, when we found out that the demons were just super, super scary, and we had the initial parlay where they said, we like your style, maybe. I thought that maybe we were going to end up having to go through some kind of secret test of character beyond, oh, you can take a stab. Oh, oh, you're good. I knew that there was going to be something. I was not expecting, break out our sister from the insane asylum. I was... If if the game hadn't gone as gone on as long as it did, I would have legitimately have had like we have to go to the sane asylum, uh, and we have to li- literally break her out of the sane asylum. But I decided, nah, that's too long. The introduction of the demons, like I was kind of thrown off guard, obviously with with that one there. But it seems like this is the setting of a well of a set piece that would, if this was a longer paced game that they would definitely come back into it. Either they become the job or in a more uh, beautifully ironic way, since they're so badass and OP and all that, like whatever we end up going up against in the big end game of the campaign, has just already decimated them. So like, 
it just seemed like you know like i said if it was if this went longer i would like to have seen what would have happened to the demons and if something killed them then holy fuck we're way out of our depth kind of thing yeah i think um <clears throat> i just i really wanted to do what's crazy and then let me go from there I was very interested in seeing, uh, I was really, I was honestly expecting you guys to argue a bit more of like, hey, can you help me commit a crime, like a major, major crime and release a bunch of insane people? I was expecting you guys to be like, um, what? That's not the RPG spirit. <laughs> yeah, <clearly not. laughs> oh, and I'll tell you, the two, uh, that was almost refreshing after the My Fair Toby. I mean, I need to seduce this guy on the chess team. Oh, we're going to need to put you in a pretty dress for that. Mm. No. Yes, yes, we're putting you in a dress. Okay, it's going to be a chong Sam. I'm going to borrow my mom's stiletto heels for this. <laughs> and yeah. Toby's response to stilettos was, what the hell am I supposed to do with this? And Kimmy going, oh, you can use these to stab things with your feet. Hello, game changer. So <laughs> it was a case of people managing to talk Toby into, we're going to dress you nice. But at the same time, we're still going to let you be Toby. So stilettos as feet stabbing or, you know, stab with your feet appeals to her nature enough that she's willing to put up with stilettos. Yeah. I, and um, I sharpened up the hair spikes because that was Toby's aesthetic more than yeah. anything else. I wasn't initially thinking that she was going to shank somebody with them. But then when you put her in the situation where it's, okay, we need to break our sister out of an insane asylum. Okay, this game I know. I'm in. You're you're still wearing a pretty dress. You want to change out of that? No. Okay. Yeah, I think that worked out pretty well. Um, I, I did like how... I felt like the game moved towards more anime, which I didn't really mind because that's, I think, what I was going for because that's what I felt some of the style I was trying to hit up worked, but I was going to make it more Western. And just the idea of you taking your uh, uh, Toby head like knife chopsticks in her hair and just throw that at people and that's how she blinded one of the the guards worked out great. Um, what forget what she did blinded George... one and stigmated the other. Yeah, forget what did because Jordan... she explicitly aimed for the hand. And then what did Jordan do in that one? Jordan, I I think I floundered around ineffectually. I can't remember doing anything. I think the thing I enjoyed the most about Jordan is, since I was kind of playing the heart of the group anyway and stuff like that, I felt like I was the Fabergé egg running out there trying to kick somebody's ass. And even in the you know when we get to the final session, I get injured. I just I I don't think she did anything too well. She may have opened the van to get them out of it or something like that, but she didn't. Yeah, get, like, I think yeah. that she and Kimmy were. Um, sledgehammering the back open with the one. Yeah, yeah. It it um, and then it reeled up to open, and it opened up to reveal female Hannibal Lecter. Um, I I think the best way to end I'd, uh end that scene was um, like I said, I think I did that scene with Akuma sitting on the hood of her car, her strapped, her sister who's still strapped up in an in a uh in a, a, a Hannibal Lecter a hand truck. Yes, that thing. Staring at the full moon, which we pan up to, and then we pan down to the glow girls uh, 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 doing something in the car. And I wanted to end that on a suspenseful note without giving away too much details of what was going to happen. Um, which I suspected you guys already kind of figured out which movie film thing I was going for with the plot, but I didn't want to give it away just completely. Well, and you did play it close to the vest, and good on you. Um, 
yeah, we did figure it out, but we were also trying to, how do I word it and not sound wrong? It's like, yes, we know this, but at the same time, in character, we got no freaking clue because none of us are the smart one. So since none of us are the smart one, we're going to have to figure it out in game. And then when you gave us the clues in game, we were able to, okay, now we can justify knowing it. Yeah. Which brings us to the third session, Ladies Night. We started that game with uh, You started that game with some really nice like vignette type of questions. And it's something I mm-hmm. really enjoyed about like, your running of these of this game here. But you had us all answer these three questions. Or really, it's the three of us one question. I can't remember, but you were giving I, us I questions. Asked, that one, I wanted to do just one question. I wanted it to be deep and just be like really psychological of like, do you, like to Toby, like, do you think your whole violence is just a, is just a way to cover up your, um, your uh, uh, lack of being what everyone in society wants you to be and that kind of thing. I still maintain that um, the one scene that I really regret not throwing in the most was Toby basically addressing her lack of femininity with her all-male household. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that she doesn't know how to, well, and she even touched on it in the dance with Jenny just a little bit later on when she said, look, I don't know how to be a girly girl. I've never known how to be a girly girl, but I can try and I am trying, but I'm never going to get there at this rate. And it's true. Um, there's nothing that we can do to Toby to turn her feminine. It's just not going to happen. Oh, really quick. Um, Ethan, is there anything yeah. you want to add really quick? All right. So, um, why don't we quickly go through session three very, very quick and then jump into the mechanics more detailed and then we can hopefully wrap it up. That was good. Right. Okay. So anything you guys want to say about session three, do so right now or ask me any questions that you want to ask. I like the, I like the fact you, we get the shit beat out of us and then, you know what? We're not done yet. Now you're going to have to go to the big battle. So, you know, <laughs> you know how horror games, like I, I've been playing Resident Evil 2 with my daughter. Hey, but, but you know how uh, like those games give you like limited ammo, limited supplies, and shit like that to uh-huh. kind of you know, heighten sense. I think the fact that I know, well, I guess David's been doing it the entire game after he got his ribs busted. But the fact that we were all entering this last battle with a couple of d- chinks in our armor, so to speak, just kind of I don't know, made it more intense, and I like that. And it, yeah. It added a certain level of that realism to it because, let's be honest, in real life, you don't exactly get to say, all right, I've got a big fight coming up on Sunday. That means that Saturday and Friday, I don't want to have anything come up, or even if it's not just a fight, even if it's bills. Because unexpected expenses always come up when you can least afford them. Unexpected social complications will come up when you're least prepared for them. Uh, Speaking from personal life, I've been dealing with a couple of things that have come up that have changed some of the scheduling of games. Sickness is always hit at just the wrong moment. Um, And, you know, there's always those things that you don't plan for happening that happen. And I love the fact that we went from high school rumble and uh, dealing with the former glow girls turned um, mice and rats and we went from that directly to the big rumble. That was that was just beautiful because it's just like life. You, 
it happens when you least expect it. We planned for the big rumble, but then this high school rumble happened in between. Mm-hmm. Part of me just kind of saw like bloody prom dresses, but you know, I know it wasn't <laughs> canon, but it was just like in my head. It would have been better. Oh yeah, I, um, I I was very much interested in seeing if if you guys were going to be able to. I like I. I was going to be interested to see if you guys wouldn't stop or wouldn't be able to stop the carry from happening or not. Oh, and I also have to say I am sorry for my dice yet again. Sorry. Uh, just because of the, um, well, there's no easy way to say it. But three on one versus Toby, she comes out unscathed because my dice said fuck you. Yeah. Two on three in the shed. Jenny's not really able to help much and ineffective slap fights. But still... This was one of those, I have to hats off to you on GMing because there was a lot of the improvisational, what is around that we can use that we can turn to our advantage? Oh, we're going to use this thing that's in the shed. Oh, yes, yes, you're clearly going to use that thing that's in the shed. And you you rolled with it so well, Ian. And I got to say, just full marks for that, man. That That was amazing. That is the mark of a good GM right there. Thank you. I appreciate that. And also rolling with the fact that, yeah, my dice just kind of went, oh, yeah, we're going to take this boss fight and we're just going to take these girls out like they're nothing. Yeah, that was very, very interesting. Um, And I'm sorry. I am am so sorry. It's fine. I mean, I had Alex there, but she got comps the the, the hell out. So um, I I think uh, it was very interesting to see that the fight with one-on-one was... More of a beatdown, and then the the two on the three on two, or technically two on two fight was way more. Uh, I want to say it was way more intense in, in the fact that like no one could figure out what the hell's going on. It was a great contrast, I thought, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I had to work hard with the with the camera shifts. That was that wasn't uh, interesting. But uh, what did you guys think about um, like the whole carry implications and? the slight investigation we had to do in the beginning and uh, like how, how basically we went from test day to dance day to rumble day. Well, it did bring us like one of the greatest phrases ever sloppy Satanists. Yes. <laughs> and one of the funnier questions for me, wait, are Satanists sexy? Yeah, I think they are. I saw that movie <laughs> that, oh, that, God. that was fun to be addressed at a later campaign. Mm. Yep. Oh, I had a lot of fun on the investigative scene at the farmhouse. Or the oh my god, that was slaughtered. That was amazing. Yes, the um, again, I think that that was a case of we all knew what was going on out of character, but we had to justify the things in character because Adam asked the right questions that told me, oh, he knows. But the question was, does Jordan know, and is Jordan going to figure it out? Yeah. But then when Jordan breaks out the pipe and just has the stoner CSI moment. <laughs> Which hats off to Jordan on that one. Suddenly we all know, and when Jordan says, I'm gonna info dump later, suddenly we all have our explanation for how do we know that this is a carry situation. That pipes a magical artifact in like another campaign. <laughs> it, honestly, Seriously. This could be awesome. a like an unknown armies kind of thing going down. Right. You find Jordan's pipe. <laughs> Fuck yeah, puff out that uh, puff off that shit. I will know all the mysteries. <laughs> She was oh. zoomed and enhanced. Yeah, that's right. Zoom and enhance. Zoom and enhance. Oh, too enhanced. Gotta zoom out. Uh, I think, yeah, I think that worked out well. The Maui Wowie is too much zoom. I, I really did like how everyone um, 
worked on not only figuring out that Jenny had been kidnapped, but which I was a little iffy on doing because the problem was I actually added that at the last minute um, to have Jenny. I, I like the day of I was working on it and I was thinking Jenny being kidnapped might actually work better as well than just, you know, like, oh, we have a bucket of blood here, blah, blah, blah. I thought it would have just added more drama to have Jenny be kidnapped and then that would force you two to not only the gang just, well, the gang doesn't have to split up, but like I thought the gang was split up and I had partially thought of adding drama of some some stuff has like when they when a team scores they'll shoot out like a cannon or fireworks or whatever i was like what if that area uh, also has like the fireworks in there and i was like that could really go fuck someone up but i decided nah so but good decisions all around yeah we had an intense fight scene Um, we did and it made for a really good dance and i think that if we hadn't uh, foreshadowed it in the ways because it wasn't just the pig farm investigation, but it was also the uh, big red confetti bag that fell that mm-hmm. gave me the trigger for. Oh wait, they're gonna rig something up to fall. Yes, thank you, because I really wanted to have you like. There's this thing that's happening right here. There's no other reason for the scene to just be like, here's the confetti bag. I want you to 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 pay attention to this part. And um, also, kind of laughing because it does show Toby's true nature in a way. Confetti bag falling on a normie, tackles him out of the way, and it's, hey, why did you tackle? Oh, nobody saw that. Yeah. Uh, so then we go to the, yeah, we had um, we had that scene. Uh, I did like developing Alex a lot more um, than just being a random NPC in the background like Kate. Um, yeah, uh, Kate was thoroughly background, but Alex had a lot of personality. Especially with the, I am not going out with one of the chess guys. I will get my own date. Thank you very much. But she was also the one that is, all right, we're going to strip them naked, or we're going to strip them naked, tag them, and we need to dump the bodies, or we need to dump these girls somewhere. And she goes, don't worry about it. I got this. Nobody asked any questions as to where she was taking them or what she was doing with them. We just all went, Alex can handle it. Or, or the fact that like Jordan's like, where'd you get this car? And Alex is like, oh, I stole it. It's the principal's. Right. Which is also great. Um, I don't know. I just felt like Alex was... And just... also just rolled with it. It's Of course Alex stole the principal's car and ripped the roof off of it, because that's what Alex do. Yep. And then we get to the final scene, the uh, final day, the, the big, big rumble. And I really wanted it that the demons didn't just show up at the, at the gathering, because that's not what demons do. Oh, no. Uh, and I like that we foreshadowed another possible future scenario of um, arguing as to who gets the credit for that particular fight, because the demons really did save the day by bringing the numbers and the holy shit demons. They did even get one of the, I'm going to use the phrase kill. I don't mean actual kill, but you know, we don't know if that's a kill kill. It kind of is debate not for for another day it's, it's a lighter conversation right yeah. now so but they did take one of the bigs out physically directly even if not intentionally mm-hmm. i think i think a big thing for this and this is kind of going to the mechanics a bit is that it does show that the problem with i did have some issues with the angst is the fact that to be fair, you're call, you're always calling someone out, and if you you succeed, you you beat them or you force them to back down. But at the same time, I was like, 
Yeah, but what if they're like a super martial artist or like a fighter or just, you know, someone who's just been a lot more fights and has a lot more experience and whatnot. Like, I know fights are fast and dirty, but what if I don't want it to be? I mean, Ethan was kind of explaining that a bit. Like, what if I don't want it to be fast and dirty? What if I want it to be a little bit pulpy or something? So I, I added it a bit. I wanted it to be like, you don't, you have to roll like, you have to roll success twice or three times or something like that. Uh, and I thought that mechanic worked fairly well. Um, I also like that because of the sheer power that they had over us, that they were, um, they were giving us a minus one to all of our roles in the rumble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, yeah, that definitely, that felt, um, a bit red markety cause there's a management, uh, perk that you can give to some of them that's experienced. So all of your roles are plus one difficulty. Yeah. So yeah, I didn't want to, I didn't want these bodyguards to be just normal mooks. They're all named after the devil. Yeah. So obviously, there's more to them than just we're a bunch of subordinates and martial arts geese. No, there's they were hardcore. Yeah. We uh, were just harder. Oh yeah. Uh, I also liked how everyone was just like Kimmy puts a brick in her purse, and then Jordan's just there. Now she had a hammer. Oh, she had a, yeah. That's right. She had a hammer. That's right. So she had a hammer, and then. There's a big fight, and then like Kimmy and, and, and Jordan have to gang up on this one motherfucker who just starts. Oh, that was great. Uh, we're always gonna. Jordan ought to know about getting hammered. Oh. oh. But you know what? Speaking of the fight, I did it. I did particularly enjoy how Sean and I had to work together again to you know compensate for our character's total ineptness in fighting. That was fun. Oh, the shed was amazing. Yeah, the shed was, and then there was. We were trying to do it in the big rumble, and it just... Oh, God, no, we did actually do the uh, whole, I'm going to insult people and run towards somebody who has a bigger stick. Oh, God, <laughs> please don't kill me. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, Jordan got hit with, like, a karate chop to the neck, and then Kimmy had to jump in and save Jordan. It all worked out great, so... Yeah. Yeah, and then... um. And meanwhile, Toby's just shanking bitches. Yeah, and, and then we got to the final part where Cypress defeats the three leaders of the of the blue boys jenny jj and isabella and slashes jenny across the face and stabs jj in the stomach and that um i don't know if this was accidental or if it was on purpose but that was kind of evocative to me of pardon me for wording it like this but the final fights in harry potter and the deathly hallows where we've got voldemort squaring off with three teachers and we've also got Bellyatrix Lestrange facing off against three. And both of the big bads of the series faced off against three up until somebody else steps in and just kind of goes, no. So if, in the case of Voldemort, of course, it was Harry. In the case of Bellyatrix, it was Mrs. Weasley. But I'm also kind of seeing it as Cypress just no-sell the three leaders of the Blue Boy. And here comes Toby going, hey, no. Mm-hmm. And it just turns into that single stroke battle where it's oh wait a minute npc's fighting against the npc bad guy we're gonna throw a pc in and see how this goes i was actually hoping that it was gonna go longer i said toby was gonna get fucked up by cypress but but dice as always think otherwise i I, I was hoping it would go a little bit longer but you rolled like super well and i was like oh well okay but you play it's an 11 and a 12 Well, that whole scene, though, plays out great because, you know, David gives into Toby's bloodlust there. And that gives us an opportunity of that last scene in that fight where, you know, we run, uh, Kimmy and Jordan run up and, you know, stop her from 
committing murder. Right. Yeah, it takes her heart and her soul. Yeah. To stop her from going full dark. And I thought that that was nicely done, not just on Ian's part, but also on the part of the group. Because that was that moment where we all come together and it's like, no, no, we're better than this. Don't kill them with knives. Kill them with kindness. (laughs) That's the better way to do it. Uh, This knife is named kindness. Great. Not that one. No. Put kindness away and kill them with actual kindness. Oh, right. Uh, and yeah, and then we we ended it with um, uh, with with. I know you didn't intend the ending to be like this. Like you, you have them all in the hospital, but it that felt like a taxi driver ending to me. If you uh, if you all seen Taxi Driver, like I have not. Right. Spoiler, spoiler alert! I think he's dead. You know what I mean? Like everything, the lighting is off in the shot and stuff like that, and you have everybody in the hospital where they should have been hauled away to go to jail or something like that because, you know, the, the battle and all that. And, I, I mean, I like it. It was, like, for me, it just felt surreal. And Well, I, I had wanted JJ to die, but then you you all, everyone was like, no, no, he can't die. Get the lighter. And then, you know, it's like, lighter won't do crap. It's like, just put it on flamethrower mode. Adam, I hear you on that. And also the problem with that kind of ending is that this is an RPG and that inherently lends yeah. itself towards we want to give people happy endings but at the same time yeah. does any of us really deserve it i think jordan does okay I mean, jordan, jordan went right. out of her way to to be a good person like always a good person yeah but would jordan want to admit to the real ending i mean kimmy was forced to have a good ending yeah well, so it almost feels like what if jordan was the real narrator of the whole thing Ooh. she was pony boy yeah and uh she she decides to believe that uh, everybody else had a better ending yeah. because it makes her feel better on some level. But in reality, everything ended really shitty because, well, frankly, Toby and Kimmy weren't good people. Um, I, I like to think that like it's Ponyboy uh, slash Jordan talking, and then Jordan ends it like the Sandlot. Like two years later, Toby died in a shootout with the mom. It, it like sh- ends up in kind of like a weird uh, stand by me typing up the uh, real ending sort of thing. Yeah. Well, I lost track of them a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I tried to pursue my life uh, to the best uh, course. I heard that uh, Kimmy wound up being a crack whore, and uh, Toby. Well, she shanked. We all know what happened to Toby. <laughs> she shanked so hard that she ended up shanking herself through space time. Um. <laughs> Cthulhu, right? She shanked Cthulhu. Um, I don't know, like yeah. not that bad, but you know what I mean. Like it could have ended up that way, but yeah. part of the issue with that kind of ending is you are dealing with an RPG. You've got yeah. player characters, you know. I th- I felt like it. I ended it in an ambiguous way. That no, it, it was a really good. It, it was a really good ending. Yeah, uh, was- I loved how you, you left it open up at the same time. We're all sitting there. We a lot of us had these weird, horrifically thoughtful moments of like, oh my God, this is my life. These are my choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a big part of it. I think the most touching thing that I took from that, and actually it goes through all three sessions, is I really liked how David's character really tried her best to shield uh, Jordan from a lot of stuff. And the and if I recall correctly on the final session like we even end it with with uh, toby saying maybe i'll go to the beach with you or the ocean with you yeah and that was 
you know, that was that was my happy ending there. I, I really liked that. And David, thank you for, you know, being there, providing that kind of support for my character. I definitely felt like that made a lot of the relationship feel more, more real. Oh, well, speaking from Toby's point of view, Toby is nothing without her sisters. And if her ending is going to be dying alone, the part of it that's going to be the most painful is the alone part, you know not having her sisters around her. Yeah. So if I can take a quote from another place, it just kind of seems like she would end with, whither thou goest, I'll go. Yeah. Why don't, we, why don't we quickly jump into the mechanics part? Right. So my impression of the overall uh, game, obviously I have less of a sense of how the entire, um, the entire uh, thing went, but I definitely get the sense that it like really developed into something great over time. And, um, I do think this is this kind of goes for for a lot of PBTA games. I feel like unless you have like a session zero where you just kind of like line up what exactly kind of campaign you want to do and like work out a whole bunch of details, uh, then that ends up just kind of coming out over play uh, over over time through play, which is fine and really good, but uh, can take some time to kind of get kind of figure it, kind of find the game you want to play. You know, in the in the system. I did enjoy it, uh, even though I felt like I kind of didn't quite get a handle on what sort of tune or style we were going for by the end of the first session. There's a lot of interesting stuff here. I do feel like the book might benefit from a clearer idea of like the options of different tones to, tones to go for. Uh, mm. Say like, okay, we could do you could do it as more of a you know pulpy. Um, you know, comedic or, you know, power fantasy type thing where you're going around, you're kicking ass and you're, you know, achieving your goals and things like that. Or you can do it as more of a uh, gritty, realistic thing where like you're suffering a lot and things aren't working out for you and you often fail to achieve your goals and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. But like have a sense of like which of those kinds of games you want to play before you get into it. So kind of like a gumshoe system where they allow like like in like um, like yeah, like, Gumshoe and Red Markets both they both have that sort of sense of there's multiple modes, uh, and you yeah. kind of wanna you wanna lay it out there before uh you know when you get started and have everybody kind of agree what kind of mode they want to play. So there's not like somebody who feels disappointed or frustrated by what we're going for. Uh, yeah. So like especially like if you want to go for a grittier you know more um downbeat game and somebody's like this is no fun i wanted to play a character who could like win (laughs) (laughs) but uh because it's it's if people are on the same page at the beginning it's great because you know you're all pulling in the same direction you can like make that magic happen um so yeah that's something that i think i would maybe recommend to the to the person writing it i do think it's i I do want to encourage the author that it's like a really it's a really cool idea and it's a really uh great um type of story or genre to explore. So it's really cool. Awesome. Awesome. Does uh, Velvet Glove do one of the common things that most P uh, powered by the apocalypse games do? And like we do slides at the end of each session or is that present in this game? Cause I don't recall seeing it. Slides. Yeah. Like, so for example, in mass, like at at the end of a session, you try to think, well, what did my character do? What did my character accomplish? And based on, since most of the things in masks, since most of your uh, stats, if one stat goes up, another stat goes down. At the end of every session of masks, it's the same thing. How did I define my character this time? Well, maybe I'm not so monstrous. Maybe I'm 
more of a normal everyday person. So monsters goes down, average well, goes up. To be specific, part of it is that in masks, particularly, uh, it it does actually have like things where again, this is where the whole gang mechanic would come in. It affects leadership if you during a session fulfill an archetype but still question yourself. Things like that. No, Velvet Glove doesn't have that. Okay. I think that that would be a good hack to work in. I think so too. That actually sounds great because Toby, like that, like I can imagine like Jordan gaining more heart uh, while losing like brains or something, or or basically Toby losing muscle and gaining more heart or something. Yeah, the angst kind of feels like it sort of tries to fill that role, but. Doesn't really. I don't, that. I don't see that really filling that role. I think angst is it's a good concept. Probably. It is a good concept for just abstract harm, mm-hmm. but I think that, and again, it's something that other PBTA games do well. Um, masks, uh, and I know we talk about this one a lot, Masks has another mechanic in there where you can take a scene, and instead of using angst, they use conditions. Like, you can be afraid, you can be I forget exactly all of them, but there's basically five different conditions. You can be shaken, you can be... And one of the things that you can do for your team is you can have a scene with a team member where you sit with them, you talk with them, and at the end of the scene, you both get to clear a condition because you can basically say, you don't have to be afraid as long as I'm with you. You don't have to be Yes, I know that you just destroyed an entire orphanage by accident, but we all know it was by accident. You don't have control of your powers. And there's um, one specific uh, character archetype in Masks that one of their big things is that they can have multiple scenes with multiple people. And they basically act as the quote-unquote healer for the group. Uh And they basically get two clear conditions galore. But then again, there's another character in there that has conditions galore, just because every time they use their power, they get them. And so I think that that would have been nice to work in there, another mechanic for clearing angst that, for the maniac, doesn't involve beating down somebody. I think that would have been a good option. I also would have liked, again, I know this is a notebook edition, so this is like the pre, this is like an alpha or beta kind of thing, but I would like a section where we can have more list of moves for for all the playbooks and whatnot. Right from or have more definity identity i i would like a I, honestly i think this game would be great if we could do vignettes like if the, it basically forces a scene where it's like a gang vignette the gang vignette is basically like what do you girls do on like this like what do you do at the pool like you go to the pool and you have a scene there and you can clear angst by doing that but you have to meet like a condition or something or whatever but like i I feel like those scenes would be good to add into this. And there's another PBTA game that does something really well that I think dovetails into this nicely. Who here is familiar with Apillion, the one where you play drag? You know, I was in there. So so one of the things that Apillion does is because you're, well, basically to fuel dragon magic, you have to use friendship gems. But the way that you acquire the friendship gems is that other players give them out based on virtues that you embody. Like, I think that that would work here as well, you know, pass around gang points. Mm-hmm. Like, any time that Jordan does something that helps the gang out by being the heart, we could give Jordan a friendship gem, or give Jordan a gang point. And then Jordan can use those gang points to do things like 
hey, Toby's doing something out of character for her. I'm going to help her and I'm going to bolster her. So it's kind of the assist another mechanic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But since we're all a gang, I mean, who are we again? It's on the jacket, isn't it? Toby could end up like passing out point, you know, getting points because she's uh she's being the tough person of the group and defending yeah. the rest of the group. That's like part of how they might fit together. Yeah, and I can see Toby being able to give points out because you were hardcore there, baby. Here, take one of my hardcore points. And then when you pull me, what would Toby do? Oh, I can beat somebody in the face, uh, shove this girl into the steam because I've got a couple of these Toby points banked up and I'm going to cash in the Tobys. Right. Mm-hmm. Or I'm, I'm doing something smart. You don't ever think your way through these things. Hannah gave me a couple of points because I was doing the smart kid thing as opposed to, I know what Queequeg's coffin actually is and how Ishmael is going to end up another orphan. Oh, you, you just, you just got smart. Here you go. Yeah. I think that would, I think that would work out well. I think um, for me, there were three big things in this game that I felt needed to be worked on just a little bit. A big one was there's actually a section that's the school section. And they said, and they said, oh, we'll explain this section later in the in the book. But I looked at the whole book, and there's no other section where they explain the school. So I think if they would just go down and, like, explain or give more examples of how you can use the school or give just, like, basic example, uh, I, th- I think would be, would, be nice, would be great for this book is if they gave not only a sample adventure but also a sample setting that they could use in Los Angeles or St. Louis or whatever. And if they could be a bit more specific on – Gang moves and the difference between gang moves and individual individual moves and how gang points, how the gang pool can be used more effectively. Because I'm going to be honest, for the life of me, I don't know what gang points are used for. I, I made up a bunch of stuff, but I don't really. I think I think they can be used for gang moves, but I. But the problem is the section where I found it. It said this is your gang pool and this is how many points you know you're in you, that you get. Is located it, under Rumble with another gang. So I got really confused. Yeah, it's it's almost like the only thing that the gang points can be used for is rumbling with another gang. Yeah. And, and I would like to see them used for other things. Like when we're pulling a gang action that doesn't involve a rumble, but we're anytime we're doing a group action, I think that gang points should come into play. Well, okay, like because we're always stronger when we're together. A good example would be when you guys tended to rob slash defend that grocery store or that corner store. Yeah, that one. Or the, shoot, even the stealing the test answers. That yeah. one would have been a good place. Um, from what I can tell, what little I can tell, uh, there's, I mean, it's like, use your rep or gang rep to rumble with a gang or to, the bigger thing was the assist mechanic, which is why I keep coming back to masks. But uh, one of the bigger problems is they don't differentiate between personal and gang rep much during that section, which is a kind of where part of the problem comes in because we're not sure what kind of rep you're using. Yeah, and that's the that's what I had an issue with. Like I, again, I was trying to work around that, but the big thing was like to me, gang moves are a huge part. Should be are and should be a huge part of this game because it involves around the the group not the individual which was what david was talking about off you know off to the side before we started recording this whole game is basically 
the gang. And so the gang move should be more defined and in, in, uh, different than individual rep moves. Right. So, yeah. I mean, if they had a way out to make them interact or you know consolidate them or make them more distinct or I don't know, somehow I, that needs to be addressed. I do like that you can't use gang moves unless all the gang is there. Uh, Cause that makes sense. Yeah. I noticed this in the character sheet and, I mean, I'm I'm sure this is just kind of an early edition and all that, but I've noticed that they're that we're not using something I've seen in many of the Powered by the Apocalypse games, where it's like, oh, you failed, well, mark it down. If you get five little ticks, then you get to you know level well, up. We or... did talk about that. The first one is always five. The second one is six, and then the next one is seven. So you do get the experience marks okay. for the failures, but. Yeah, it, it was less. We weren't tracking them as much because, well, one, I think I failed a grand total of three rolls the entire campaign. Yeah, you were kind of boss, so. Yeah, but even then, it wasn't very explicit uh, in the setup. A lot of PBTA is basically, if you were to like pull down the uh, actual display sheet for any given character, it's usually very explicit right on there. So. And then you don't get to do the stuff like you know take a take a move out of another playbook because I'd like to see the sonar get the in, get the gearhead kind of attachment to where I don't know that scene from Half Baked where it's like they, the guys don't have anything to smoke out of and somebody tells them to get a, get him a potato and a knife and you know he'll make a bong out of it or some shit like that. Right. That was a bald one that did that. That would be awesome. Like I, I like the yeah I like the idea of taking like the gearhead and shoving that into the stoner and the stoner becomes like. Oh, I made this like super awesome device. What does it do? Oh, it lets me smoke. Okay, so I took the aquarium, right? And I sealed the top of it and I attached this hose. And so you put the weed here and when you light it up, it's going to make the fish move around a little bit, but that's also going to create way more bubbles. Part of it does feel like they were very focused on the uh, the one-shot kind of model of uh, you're not going to get that far anyway, so don't worry about it. But... Again, with the playbooks, those should be with other PBTA games. The playbooks themselves are almost standalone rule sheets, you know. And yeah. I think that would really help this game because I can feel a lot of people wanting to make longer campaigns out of this. Yeah, I, I certainly agree. I think I, I want to talk about the playbooks a little bit. I, I felt like some of the moves specials were a little. Um, I really like a, a lot of them. I felt like some of them though could have been. I don't know. I, I did like how some of them were just add a stat, like add a plus to this stat, so that when that you, so that way, like you know, I'm going to take muscle. I'm going to take this, so I'll add, so I'll take this to add to my muscle. That way, I can also take heart and not be like have not have a minus one heart. But I would also have liked to. I mean, I know, I think most Power by the Apocalypse games give you like three options for moves, but I I would have liked like maybe a fourth move or three more moves beneath that to say, Hey, you can pick these moves next time. A lot of the power by the apocalypse games. I mean, I know three is a kind of a basic thing, but there are quite a few that go well above and beyond like uh monster of the week usually gives you a pretty big variety. Like you're supposed to pick one from this list and one from this list, you know? Yeah. I, I, I'm going to be honest. I don't play a lot of power by the apocalypse, but that doesn't mean I don't want to. I just haven't had mm. the chance to. That's um, right. Dude, even, uh, even dungeon world, um, jumping back quite a ways. Um, 
one of the things that I liked about Dungeon World is that you have to keep track of how many times that you've leveled up as a character because these are certain moves that you can pick up at level one, and then these are certain moves that you can pick up once you've hit level three. So you can't pick up this move until you've leveled up a couple of times. That I kind of like. There's nothing that really jumps out here. But then again, let's be honest, Dungeon World is basically a, a poc- or PBTA hack of D&D. I think it would have been nice if there would have been a couple of those moves that you only activate after you've been around a little bit. Because Scary Baby for um, the Maniac is a pretty powerful thing. I used it a lot. Yeah. And all it really does is instead of using flair for a thing, when you're trying to appeal to somebody by being the biggest, baddest, scariest one, you use muscle instead. So Toby seduced people by flexing. That's Yeah, pretty much. You will like me. Okay. Tell me how tell me I'm pretty. Tell me. <laughs> uh, I, I think that's a big point. Um the thing for this for me is it's definitely in its beta this is definitely a beta book so i i would like to see just a lot more expanded in the I'm not, it's a good book it's i like it i like it, it is i just i would like to see more expanded in the final version because i think there's so much potential in here and i i would actually like to see maybe a section on playing even like i would actually like to see a session like okay you're not dealing just dealing with the school and crap like let's say you guys are on a road trip or something like do something like that or um yeah west coast and, east coast that kind of thing like, yeah. and just have to throw it out too i gotta ask you guys the same question that i asked myself on playing any game that's in the beta test once this thing actually hits the full-on real edition with all of the tweaks and stuff what are the odds that you're going to pick this one up and try to run it with a group? Because I would say yes to both of those. I, I would buy this one. I would add it to my collection. I would break this one out to play with a group. I actually have kind of a, a weird soft spot for youth gangs in uh, RPGs. <laughs> Part of it has to do with a game that I was all about and I made David play once. No, shit, I tried twice. Cybergen, which was an expansion for uh, Cyberpunk 2020. It was supposed to be the original yes. 2027. I still have it, and I will still fucking run it. Goddamn. Anyhow, and uh, it's 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 a bit like lighthearted and uh, very youth oriented, but the whole idea is it's kind of that hot blooded youth. You know, screw the man. We're doing a thing. We're taking the system down. Feel and when you're running it, one of the things you have to know, even though it's not stated explicitly in the game itself, is that uh, realistically. You can't win. Um, with this game, it's kind of the same. It's the 70s. Oh you, my know how, you know how this ends, right? I mean, your characters get old. We kind of discussed this with like epilogues. Your characters get older and they're like, God, how old are they now? They're in like well, 40s and 50s and shit. Uh, yeah, I mean, Hannah Hannah was 13. You're, everyone else is like 16, four, 17, something like that. So I think Yeah, was Toby 14. was 18. Or something. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's it's definitely in that whole. This is. I mean, to be fair, it's Kimi's ideology of burnout uh, in the flames of youth, and to fade away as, a, uh, as the older adult. Right. So if they live, they it, you know deep down as you're playing, you don't change the world. The world crushes you. 
but at the same time that moment that burning moment when you're like strike rushing up against that wall you feel alive i kind of like that ideal it's it's really fun to play out it's fun to run but at the same time when you step back you're like oh god this is horrible and hopeless what was your what was what was usually your favorite parts of your characters of the current playbooks and then what um playbooks do you think you'd like to well first what's your favorite what's your least favorite and then what playbooks would you want to do next well, I think my favorite, just off of Toby, Scary Baby was really useful. And even though it seems like it's a narrow set of circumstances, it's actually, it applied far more often than I thought it would. Although I do like Hardcore Baby because it definitely does talk about the, um, the thing about the maniac is that she is the one member of the party that can actually take somebody on and make sure that they do not get away with little harm. She is the one who will hurt somebody. Mm-hmm. But the downside to that is that she is the one that will hurt somebody. So if you want to play a softer maniac, you're playing the wrong playbook. Toby does have a softer side, which we saw. But on the other hand, there's a line from a Discworld book that definitely does come to mind, which is, uh, throat-tearing violence comes very easy to me. It is very, very hard for me not to kill all of you. Please don't make it harder than it is. (laughs) And I think that playing the Maniac, if I ever play this again, I kind of want to play somebody that has the softer side. I think I would do a fairly good with a Disingenue, or I think I would do fairly good with playing one of the Valkyrie, because I like the idea that the Valkyrie is all about moving with the sisters, moving with the, uh, moving with the group, basically being the one that gets everybody all marshaled together and just, it's like, oh, we need to peace out now. Let's leave before this gets too hardcore. Up oh, the maniacs working. Okay, um, you girls go that way. I will get. I will go get Toby. Toby, does this smell like chloroform to you? Grab, drag, leave. Sean, with the character I played, again, Dishonored was like, it's my personal favorite term. I fucking rock that shit. But such a bunny was a, a stat that, well, an ability that I tried to use, but it it is kind of weirdly limited. Uh, it does work, but it, you know, Brick House, perversely, in a replay, I would probably drop it and pick up the It's Around Here Somewhere for more fun, mm-hmm. where you can f- just find shit that you stash somewhere. Don't get me wrong, the new girl was fun. Uh, before I knew what everybody was playing, and David gave me just the lowdown on the overall thing before giving a rundown on every character, the Maniac looks like fucking fun. So, yes, not going to lie. I would, David, you did great. You did amazing, but I would bring something different. I don't know what it is, but it would be something. Again, that's one of the great things. These archetypes are flexible. So, Mm -hmm. um, oh God, yes, it would be great. Still, the radical was also a big call for me. Like, I was, it was down between the uh, new girl and the radical because, God, just being able to sit there and just like spout off a bunch of great, like old school feminist ideology and just, be ready to emasculate anything that walked in front of me. Take the switchblade and the fake college ID. Fuck yeah. Uh, Adam? You know, I enjoyed the sonar because I had my spirit journeys where I, you know, would receive information, which that move was called head change where you just smoke up. Uh, I, I enjoyed that. I mean, she was kind of not strong in any other area, but I mean, it, that kind of led to how I played her. But I think if I were going to redo this, I would like to play the gearhead mm. 
I like how, um, I mean, the moves are, you know, you've got a car, you can actually use your, if you're in a vehicle, you substitute uh, flare, as we call it, for uh, Euro Heart instead of flare. So, you know, you can kind of be impressive to someone. Go to the shagging wagon. Her, yeah. Her angst move is what tickles me the best. I love it. So her angst move is when you show off your greater knowledge of cars to a man. Row angst. On a hit, you clear one angst. On a 10 plus, the dude is so impressed he gives you use for information. But on a miss, he smirks and points out a serious mistake. I like that, you know, demasculinization. I'm stuttering over words there. But I like how that can play into it. And it kind of goes with the overall theme. Why am I suddenly flashing to Marissa Tomei and uh, my cousin Vinny talking about how Paz Attraction only showed up on the Pontiac Tempest with this particular set of tires? <laughs> uh, I'm going to be honest. I started flashing back to the first Transformer movie with Megan Fox. To what, Davids? To to Megan Fox. No, no. Yeah, I was setting him up for another My Cousin Vinny reference. Mm. Who utes? Oh, I'm sorry. Use. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, yeah, I think I think there's a lot of great potential for this game, and I think there's it, like, but I think yeah, I think we could. Um, I think this game has a lot of potential. I just would like to see it developed more. I know there might be a kick. There was supposed to be a Kickstarter, I think either in December or October, but it never happened from what I know. Huh. Uh, the gang rules, especially, need to be uh, given more definition. Uh, I feel like that could be a huge strength for the game, but yeah. Yeah, I think uh, that I'm I'm still down with this game, but um, I think that we've covered what we wanted to cover. Is there anything else anybody wants to ask or add? Please feel free. Well, the only other thing I'm yeah I'm comfortable with what we've added so far, and just wanted to say once again, thank you all very much for playing with me. I had the most amazing time. It was and, a fantastic uh, game. Uh, yeah, and I know I don't speak for myself. I know I'm speaking for all of us when I say, Ian, thank you so much. Yes. Yeah. And David, if you didn't get what you wanted, you know, there's always next year. <laughs> oh, yes, there is. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I, had to be said. Something. I don't really. I don't oh, that me. was like before when, uh, oh, Apollo. when Apollo was devastated as a senior. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, it's okay. There's always, always next, next year. year. <laughs> <laughs> well, he does like the anime thing where like he gets the coming out of his mouth. Just like, you know, he's like almost vomiting rainbows and like yeah. ears are flowing out in a river because there is no next year. <laughs> there is only death. Kimmy, what were you saying before? I must break you. I have to say really big thanks to Adam for hosting. I appreciate oh. that. Immensely. Oh, most deaf. My pleasure. I've, I enjoyed playing with everyone and impressed the hell out of me, and I look forward to playing in more of your games, buddy. Yeah, um, hopefully more than just Velvet Club, because I do want to run... I, I do maybe want to run Cyberpunk 2020 someday. Well, uh, you always have an audience. Mm-hmm, thanks. It's um, a great game. Again, thanks for having me, and uh, no, if you do the CP2020, let me know. I've been trying to play it again since the fucking 90s. Or well, trying to run it. And uh, god damn it, people. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Happy note, though. I gotta go. Alright, yeah. All right, I will guys. speak with you guys later. Yep. All right, good, good night. Um, good night, internet. <laughs>